Good morning. It is Kale and Company live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We can be heard in the capital region of New Hampshire at 103.9 on the FM dial. In Manchester and well beyond at 101.9 FM and at 1450 on the AM dial and nhtalkradio.com, wherever you may go. Hope you had a wonderful uh, weekend, and uh, I know I did. I had a great weekend despite what happened last night in Miami, which was totally brutal, but we will uh, we will talk about that uh, a little bit uh, later on today. Uh, and in the second half of our program today, we are going to have a gentleman on by the name of Tim Haggerty. And uh, Tim was born a stone's throw from where I'm sitting right now at uh, Concord Hospital. And uh, he then uh, moved with his family to uh, Massachusetts uh, early in his life, but uh, has become a professional baseball broadcaster. And right now is with the AAA El Paso Chihuahuas of the Pacific Coast League, the AAA affiliate of the San Diego Padres. And uh, Tim has written his second book, and uh, it is terrific. It is about uh, uh, bizarre happenings. It's called Tales from the Dugout, and it's all about uh, bizarre happenings uh, throughout the years. And this uh, book dates way back. There are stories from uh, late 1800s, the 1910s, the 20s, the 30s, and uh, 1,001 uh, strange and intriguing things that have happened in minor league baseball. So we'll talk with Tim and get our minds off the Celtics in the second half of the uh, program today. But, uh, yeah, uh, Saturday uh, did uh, a, a walk for the Arthritis Foundation. And uh, it was very inspira- It was a very inspirational walk in that uh, a number of the walkers uh, in the event were diagnosed at a young age, a young age, having arthritis, diagnosed with arthritis. And I, I think most people uh, think that, oh, arthritis, that's, uh, that's something that only happens to older people. Not true. Uh, there were a number of young people uh, in the event. It was not a race. It was a walk uh, through a trail in, uh, in Manchester, a lovely trail, uh, connecting the uh, west side of Manchester, right behind West Side Arena with uh, Delta Dental Stadium. So it was uh, like a three-mile play. It was a 5K, so that's like 3.2 miles. And it was just wonderful to be with these uh, inspiring people who have uh, overcome arthritis to be able to walk uh, 3.2 miles. So it was uh, that was a great day, and uh, uh, Tom Raffio uh, took part in the event. Kitty Ray was there uh, as well, and uh, Tom's wife, Ellen, and it was uh, terrific, and, and so many uh, people who have dealt, uh, the, the actual uh, people who have dealt with arthritis and their families, so it was a wonderful day and uh, very inspiring. And then after that, I went to the, uh, the bike swap in Concord and, and bought a bicycle. Can you imagine that, cat? At my advanced age, I bought a bicycle. 
Do you want to hear a fun fact? I do. I don't know how to ride a bike. Come on. I Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I was never taught. And then one day I tried to teach myself and I got into a horrible accident and oh, never did it again. no. <laughs> 31. I don't know how to ride a bike, but that's fine. Well, you could easily learn. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't or hadn't been on a bike for years, literally. I would say not only years, I would go as far as to say decades. Wow. Until Saturday. Oh, that's fun, though. When uh, after, you know, after you do like a, a walk that I, I did, it was only 3.2 miles. It was nothing more than a lot of people do on a regular basis. But you, you feel energized after doing that. So I knew there was a bike swap uh, in in uh, Concord on Saturday at the S&W Sports. And I, I, my goal was to buy a used bike. And I did. I did. And uh, so I, I'm now what I'm looking for, and maybe, uh, maybe somebody listening can help. You can give us a call. We have an open phone line, 603-224-1450, 603-224-1450. If you know of some great bike trails... In the area, you know, Concord, the Pentecook area, uh, Kentuckook, Boscoan, Pembroke, whatever. I, I'm just looking for bike trails because I want to ride this bike. I loved it. I loved it. And uh, I'd even go as, uh, as early as uh, you know, right after the show. It was wonderful. And uh, rode it around the parking lot at the SW Sports in Concord. And I, I tried out one uh, that had a horn. Uh, and an old an old style bike that had a horn, but oh my uh, gosh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so cute. Uh, yeah, and and the one I bought uh, ultimately did, did not have a horn, but you know that's that's easy to take care of. You can always buy a horn. Please put a horn on your bicycle, uh, uh, okay, and take a picture with it so we can I, post it. Uh, okay, I I will do that uh, once I get a horn. I don't have a horn on my uh, handlebars yet, uh, but the other one I I tried out did. I, but uh, it was uh, kind of old, and, and the brakes weren't working that well. So I, I figure I, I better get one that has at least uh, good brakes. Uh, and I did. And uh, so if you see me out there, uh, wave, say hello. But I'd like to find a trail, some good bike trails, because, you know, it's going to be a while, uh, you know, Kat, before I go out and actually ride my bike uh, where there are cars coming oh, and going. Oh, yeah. It's so dangerous. Yeah. I used to uh, I, I used to ride a lot when I was a kid. I, I had uh, grandparents. I, I lived in Melrose, Mass, and I had grandparents in Wilmington, which is really quite a distance away, twelve or thirteen miles. But I used to do it uh, uh, when I was a kid, uh, mostly because uh, they had a pool. Oh yeah, and and, uh, and I love to swim uh, in, in the pool. So I I rode the bike and went in the pool and uh, used to drive a ride to Wakefield, Mass, which was right next door, not quite as as far away as Wilmington. But uh, be that as it may, I had not been on a bike before Saturday. I I would easily say, you know, honestly, it was like forty years since I had been on a bike. Wow. But you know what people say about, you know, it's it's, you know, it comes back to you like riding a bike. 
And it did. It did. You You know know? what app you should download is called All Trails. All Trails. Yeah. And I have that app for hiking, but they have any type of trail. Oh, really? You can set it. Yeah. Your search for for that. So that might be a great place for you to look. All Trails. All Trails. Is that a dot com or a dot org? Um, It's an an app. Oh, it's an app. Yeah. You can uh, download it right from the app store. It's an app. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. I will do that on, on your advice. But I, I can't wait to get out there. I, you know, there's one thing left that I have to do, and that is everybody I've told over the weekend uh, that I bought a bike said, do you have a helmet? And I don't at the moment. But it, that, that will be rectified soon. That's easy enough. But they say, don't go out there without a helmet. So I'm not going to. Uh, so I have to get a helmet first. But that's uh, easy, easy to do. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it, really, uh, a summer with, uh, adventuring uh, with my new bike and soon, maybe, to have a horn or at least a bell. Do you know that, uh, that uh, Kitty Ray just, uh, just bought a bike as well? And she has a bell on hers. She has a bell on her bike. Love so that, the, uh, Kitty. <laughs> so I had to keep up with her. And I don't know if I can keep up with her on a bike trail, but nonetheless, uh, I, I did buy a bike. And uh, I'm feeling good about it, feeling good, trying to get into a little bit better shape, doing some walks, doing some biking, you know, rather than just sitting around and, and, and watching my favorite athletic teams continue to disappoint me. Uh, so anyway, uh, get out there and exercise. And again, if anybody knows of a trail uh, around here, which, uh, you know, would be uh, easy to navigate for an old guy, uh, let us know. 603-224-1450 if you want to weigh in on that. And uh, yesterday I was telling Kat before we went on the air today, uh, you may remember we did an episode uh, a while back uh, on which we had uh, Amy Hall with us from uh, Granite State Dairy Promotion. And I brought my grandchildren in uh, to uh, talk about their favorite ice cream. And uh, I, both yesterday were, uh, were entertaining me. My uh, granddaughter, Lena, was in a dance recital, did an amazing job. That was in my hometown of, uh, of Melrose. And then uh, my grandson, Philip, in the afternoon played Joseph Pulitzer in the Roosevelt School rendition of the uh, Broadway musical Newsies. And they were both terrific. I never realized how talented my my grandchildren were. Uh, so I was very proud of them uh, yesterday, dancing and reciting lines, and uh, it, was, it was great to see. So despite what happened last night in Miami, <laughs> which I really don't want to think about, but anyway, we'll take a break. Kale and Company will continue right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more. Find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. 
No, I went to uh, download that app during the break, Cat, uh, the uh, All Trails, and uh, I, I couldn't remember my password, so I'll have to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can never remember Daily my mood. I can never uh, remember uh, my passwords either. I, I have to write them down. Someday I've got to write down passwords. You know? Some, I do that in my phone. Yeah. There, uh, you can create folders in your notes on your notes oh, app. That's well and beyond I, me. I, I'll show you uh, after the show. How about uh, that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to remember all create, your passwords after create this. Create folders in my phone. Oh, my. Yeah, I know. I, in my goodness. <laughs> what can't you do with uh, the technology uh, now? I know. It's very true. Uh, today, by the way, May 22nd, uh, 2023. That's that's today, right? May 22nd. Uh, International Being You Day. Uh, it's also National Buy a Musical Instrument Day. So... If you want to buy a musical instrument, this is the day to do it. Uh, National Solitaire Day. National Vanilla Pudding Day. Yeah, a little vanilla pudding with a Cool Whip on top. Sounds good. And it is uh, Sherlock Holmes Day. Uh, Not a good day. Yesterday for the Red Sox in San Diego, they were blanked by the Padres 7-0. However... Uh, the Red Sox did win two out of three in that series in San Diego. Uh, Red Sox starter Corey Kluber went just two and a third innings yesterday, allowing five runs. He's now two and six, and I don't know. I don't know if he's going to make it through the year. Uh, we shall see how it plays out. He may get a few more starts, but he is not looking good. On the other hand, former Red Sox right-hander Michael Waka who pitched very well for the Sox last year. I don't know why the Red Sox didn't try to re-sign him, or maybe they did, and the offer that he got from San Diego was better, whatever the case. Uh, Michael Walker went out, pitched six innings yesterday, allowed five hits, struck out four, and he improved to 5-1 and one on the year for San Diego. Now tonight. Red Sox will open a three-game series in Anaheim against the Los Angeles Angels. Tanner Houck will be on the mound for Boston. He's a 3-3. Always fun to see the Angels uh, because uh, Shohei Otani is there. Otani, by the way, pitched yesterday. So the Red Sox will not have to face Shohei Otani in their series against the Angels. They have to face him as a hitter but not as a pitcher. So Shoei Otani and Mike Trout and the Angels are going to be the opposition for the Red Sox over the next three nights. I don't know what they call it now, but it used to be the Big A uh, in Anaheim. Uh, Yankees beat the Reds yesterday uh, 4-1. to Fisher Cats, they uh, split. A twin bill with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies yesterday at Delta Dental Stadium. Fisher Cats uh, off tonight. They'll be starting a series in Portland, Maine tomorrow at Hadlock Field against the uh, Portland Sea Dogs. All right, put it off uh, long enough. The uh, Celtics were just as miserable, absolutely as miserable as you could imagine uh, last night. In their game three loss, 128 to 102 to the Miami Heat in Miami. Celtics now down three games to none in their Eastern Conference final against the number eight seed 
in the conference. Celtics went into the postseason as the number two seed in the East. Miami, number eight. They've already knocked off the top seed, Milwaukee. They knocked off the New York Knicks, and now they're about to eliminate the Boston Celtics. Uh, Brian Windhorst, senior basketball writer of ESPN, uh, put it this way, demons were born Sunday night. Those thoughts that stick in the head and on detractors' lips. The Boston Celtics have played hundreds of memorable playoff games in their storied history, but for the foreseeable future, just saying Game 3 is going to sting without any needed context. Brian goes on to write, uh, Frankly, the Miami Heat have a pretty good catalog of playoff moments, yet their 128-102 victory to take a three games to none Eastern Conference Finals lead on Sunday night might get its own special heading. Unexpected success is often the sweetest, and the Heat and their fans were floating on that emotion. Miami coach Eric Spolstra, in the midst of painting his masterpiece by being on the verge of a career-affirming improbable finals appearance for a number eight seed that was three minutes, folks, three minutes from not making it out of the play-in tournament, and they had to take all kinds of measures to hold all the emotions in. Uh, They did make it uh, into the postseason. It is going to be uh, tempting for the Celtics to make Game 3 a watershed moment to let the overwhelming disappointment of being thoroughly dominated and humiliated cause an angry response. But I don't think so from this team. They are playing like they are running and walking in mud. That's that's the impression I got last night. I, that, that's what I was thinking when I was watching the Celtics come out last night after blowing a fourth-quarter lead on Friday to Miami. They came out yesterday like they were running in mud, running into each other, no spacing on the offensive end of the court, uh, very impatient offense, throwing up threes uh, like crazy, not taking the ball to the hoop. And uh, they had a they, late Friday night uh, in game two of the series, Celtics had a nine-point lead in the fourth quarter. About midway through the fourth quarter, Celtics led by nine. Wound up uh, losing that game. Going down 0-2, that was uh, 111-105 they lost on uh, Friday. And the Celtics had a lead, and uh, I'm sure many of you have seen, whether you saw it live when it was actually happening or it's been repeated on uh, every single news station uh, for uh, uh, time and time again over the weekend, the altercation between Grant Williams of the Celtics and Jimmy Butler, the hated Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat, who has led the Heat to where they are right now. And they got into a face, I'm talking face-to-face confrontation on Friday night at the TD Garden, the likes of which, of which I've never seen before in any kind of a sporting event. Yeah, you've seen fights and all that. I've never seen the in-your-face jawing, the spitting-in-the-face confrontation like Grant Williams and Jimmy Butler had on Friday night at the TD Garden. And I think Grant Williams did it in an effort. And he really was the protagonist. 
Uh, he started it all, and uh, I think he did it in an effort uh, to, you know, get the Celtics going. I mean, they were up at the time, but got in Jimmy Butler's face and wanted to put some added fire on the Celtics because he knew there was still plenty of game left. And the Celtics have had a propensity this year of blowing a lot of late leads. Grant Williams got in the face of Jimmy Butler after uh, Jimmy Butler made a shot. It was uh, uh, an and-one situation where Butler made a shot and then went to the foul line. But before he made his foul shot, Grant Williams got in the face of Jimmy Butler. They had, you know, spit going over everywhere. Uh, it was something unlike I've never seen uh, before in a sporting event. And uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, you're the one because I think everybody has over the weekend. And uh, it was it was a moment that uh, the Celtics did not respond to. Celtics did not respond to. It. In fact, they blew the lead, lost the game, and uh, there were a lot of players on the team who, who felt that Grant Williams poked the bear, poked the bear of Jimmy Butler, and got him going. Uh, Jimmy Butler doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. I think Grant Williams was doing it to fire up the Celtics. He was unsuccessful in that. They blew the lead in that game. They stunk out the joint last night in Miami. They were woeful. One of the worst games I have ever seen the Celtics playing in the postseason. And they were absolutely brutal on a Sunday night at South Beach. So... And no one has ever come back in the NBA from being down three games in a series. And uh, I don't have a feeling that the Celtics are going to be the first ones to do that, unfortunately. Uh, they stunk last night. They, they really did. And uh, Coach uh, Joe Mazzula tried to put all the blame on himself, saying he didn't have uh, the team ready, didn't have them motivated and all that stuff. Uh, hey, these athletes making millions and millions of dollars a year shouldn't need someone to tell them to go out and play hard. You think? Yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around. And, and Joe Mazzula, well, he can take part of the blame. But I put it mostly on the players. They played like they were walking in cement last night. It was awful, awful to watch. And uh, I think all Celtics fans are down on them this morning, and for good reason. All right, we're going to turn to a happier subject. That is minor league baseball coming up. Some great stories from the voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, Tim Haggerty, born in Concord. He'll be with us right after the break. Kale and Company presented by Northeast Delta Dental. You can check out all their plans at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. Back with Tim Haggerty right after these words. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Great to have you along with us. And we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. And uh, very happy to have uh, joining us, Tim Haggerty. Tim, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ken. Uh, Tim has been uh, broadcasting professional baseball games since... 2004. You must have started when you were 12, Tim. 
um, yeah, I was fortunate to get started uh, right as soon as college ended. So I was uh, 22. Wow. Where where'd you go Close to school? To <laughs> I went to school up in Vermont at Northern Vermont University. Very good. Uh, they have a great, great broadcast program there. It used to be called Linden State College, but they've had a transformation with the name. So now I don't know what to say when people ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim is currently the voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, one of the great baseball nicknames, the AAA affiliate of the San Diego Padres, and he's the author of, uh, what, three baseball books? Two. Um, Two. Yeah, it's strange. When you click on my Amazon page, yep. it shows uh, my Team Names book from 2012. It shows my new book of baseball stories. And for some reason, it says that I wrote this book that came out in 1949, <laughs> uh, which was actually written by a guy named Tom Meany. But despite my efforts to contact Amazon, they still think I'm the author. It's still up there. Um, are, are you yes, getting, I was not alive then. Are you getting the royalties from it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. And uh, Tim has also written hundreds of articles for Baseball Digest, The Sporting News, The Hardball Times, and other publications as well. And Tim's latest book is Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. And I love Minor League Baseball. Of course, we have the uh, AA affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays in Manchester, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. I worked in minor league baseball for uh, any number of years with uh, teams in, in New Hampshire and uh, Connecticut. And uh, so it's it's great to uh, see a book like this uh, come out. And I, I can relate to a lot of the stories, I'm sure, that are in there. And this is uh, published by uh, Cider Mill Press out of Portland, correct? Yeah, that's right. They're uh, based in Maine. And they do a great job. It's a really visual publishing company, and that's what I hoped for. So in the book, there's a lot of cartoonish illustrations also. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now, now, Tim, you were born in Concord, probably, you know, less than a mile from where I'm sitting right now, I, I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was born at Concord Hospital. My father was a police officer there. We lived on Wyndham Circle, if you know where that is. Uh, a really yeah. nice neighborhood. And um, yeah, you know, when I was younger, the family moved to Massachusetts, but New Hampshire has always remained a part of our family. My parents got a place in Sunapee, for example. Um, and I used to love going back through Concord because when I was in college, I was the broadcaster for the Vermont Mountaineers ah. of the New England Collegiate League. And, okay. and that was a little bit before the Fisher Cats arrived. So there was still the Concord Quarry Dogs, if you remember that game. Oh, I sure do. So that was, uh, I sure yeah, do. that was really exciting to be calling games in Concord you know, after being born there and having a family connection there. Yeah, so you were the voice of the, the Mountaineers, huh? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It worked out great. I was still in college at the time, so much like the players, the schedule was able to fit between college years. Yeah, very good. So you had a chance to uh, do some games at uh, Doan Diamond uh, right here in Concord, where the uh, Concord High Crimson Tide play now and many other teams as well. Uh, but uh, that, that must have been uh, a thrill for you at that time. It was. Uh, the New England Collegiate League All-Star Game was there that year. I had a chance to broadcast that. And it's interesting now, years later, when you look at what happened to a lot of the players, there's a, a hitting instructor who you've probably come across, Bobby Tewksbury, different than Bob Tewksbury, the pitcher. Right, right. Um, 
but uh, he's from Concord. He was renowned for working with Josh Donaldson and some other great major league hitters. Well, he was a player on the Quarry Dogs at that time, so uh, he's become a very well-known hitting coach, and I remember covering him as a player in Concord. Wow, that, that is something. Yeah, not to be confused with uh, the other Bob Tuxbury, who's living uh, in Maine now, uh, by the way. I ran into Bob just a few weeks ago at a card show, and uh, he is uh, now living, uh, I believe, in, in Wells, Maine, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, yeah. So you grew up uh, in Massachusetts in Canton, I believe? Yeah, that's right, Canton, yeah. uh, suburb of Boston. Yeah, I had a friend of mine who actually spoke to a class at uh, Canton High School just last week and uh, spoke to them about uh, his broadcasting career. Uh, who was who was your favorite team growing up, need I ask? <laughs> huh? Yeah, followed the Red Sox very closely growing up. Um, went to games whenever possible, if not, was watching games, and... You could probably guess, like a lot of baseball broadcasters, as a kid, I was hooked. I was obsessed. Um, I was the type of kid that would read the box scores every morning. I hear you. Even though I was growing up in New England, you know, if you asked me to name 10 Cincinnati Reds, I probably could do it as a kid. (laughs) I I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I I know the type of kid that is because I I was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure. Yep. Who who are your your favorite broadcasters uh, growing up in the Boston area? Well, at that time, Sean McDonough was the Red Sox TV announcer. Yeah. As I got yeah. a little bit older, it's when Don Orsillo arrived. Right. But I yeah. actually, when, when I first was pursuing broadcasting in high school and realized this is what I wanted to do, I remember listening to Don Orsillo for the Pawtucket Red Sox. Sure. Um, yeah. In Rhode Island, south of Canton. And Don is now the TV broadcaster for the San Diego Padres. How about so when that? when I first met him, exactly, yeah. I, I met him at spring training a couple of years ago, and I said, Hey, when I was growing up, I heard you on WSKO, Providence, Rhode Island. And he started laughing. He said, I have not heard that, those call letters in years. Well, I, I, and I bet, uh, yeah, he was he was pleased to hear that somebody remembered when he was the voice of the Paw Sox. Uh, no, no doubt about that. And uh, now, as you mentioned, the TV voice of the San Diego Padres. And, and, and you've done a Padres game or two. Yeah, they've been fortunate enough in the past to involve me in a couple of exhibition games. I had a chance to broadcast one game for the Kansas City Royals when I worked for a Royals affiliate. So that's a great thrill. Um, And also feel lucky for what I do now. El Paso is a great modern AAA park, only 10 years old. Wow. It's a big city, Ken, bigger city than a lot of people realize. There's 700,000 people in El Paso. Is that right? I love the team. Wow. Yeah. That that is something, and uh, I lo- love the nickname. Love the Chihuahuas uh, <laughs> as, as a nickname. So you, you've been writing now for for quite some time, as well as uh, broadcasting. Uh, uh, so when did you, when did the writing uh, come about? I've always loved baseball history, and especially the crazy things that have happened throughout baseball history. I think that my interest in baseball history started when I was twelve. I was uh, 12 years old in the summer of 1994, which was a terrible year for baseball fans. That was the year that a strike hit in August. There was no World Series, and I was crushed. Yeah. But it's also the year that the Ken Burns baseball documentary came out, speaking of people with New Hampshire ties. And the Ken Burns baseball documentary, to me, was mind-blowing. There were so many characters and stories that I knew nothing about prior to that. Um, I remember walking out to my parents and saying, have you ever heard of this Rube Waddell guy? <laughs> Waddell is a, a really eccentric yeah. pitcher from the yeah. early 1900s. Right. Um, so I think it was then, age 12, that 
I really was captivated by the history of the game. And then for this new book, when researching something else back in 2012, I came across this newspaper article from the 1880s that a Texas League game in Austin got delayed when a wild bull ran on the field. <laughs> and I'm sure you're the same way, Ken. When you hear a crazy sports story, you just want to know everything about it. I do, and and I do and, want uh, to hear all yeah. about it. <laughs> so that's what began my, my quest for the craziest stories that have happened throughout minor league history. So it goes all the way back to the 1800s, but also some more modern stories, like in 2022 when the Fisher Cats played a game as the Manchester Chicken Tenders. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember that well. Yeah, of course, the, you know, the Chicken Tender, by the way, was invented at the uh, Puritan Backroom Restaurant in Manchester. <laughs> and that's why, it, they, and that's, that's why they had that. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love about those alternate team names. Um, 1974, that Manchester diner you just mentioned. And what it did was it let people know outside New Hampshire New Hampshire's connection to the chicken tender. You know, you knew that, and your listeners probably knew that. But when it bounced around on baseball news sites, why is this double-A team known as the chicken tenders for one day? Well, then the press release explains why. And all of a sudden, people around the country know that chicken tenders were invented in Manchester. Um, so I love that. Yeah, and, In Portland, Maine, the, the Portland Sea Dogs played a game as the Whoopie Pies. And everyone says, what is a Whoopie Pie? Well, then they learn it's a dessert that's popular in Maine. A delicious dessert, too, I, I might add, and, and synonymous with Maine. You know, uh, there are some of the best whoopie pies in the world come from Maine. <laughs> Maybe that's why Bob Tuxper is living there now. I'm, I'm not sure. Our guest is Tim Haggerty. He has written a, a brand new book called Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. And uh, Tim is joining us today, and we appreciate that. And we have to take a quick break, Tim, but uh, we will be right back with more. Kale and Company right here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Delighted that you can be with us today. Also delighted to have with us baseball broadcaster Tim Haggerty, born at Concord Hospital, which is less less than a quarter of a mile, Tim, from where I'm sitting. <laughs> you know, I could almost throw a baseball and hit it. Uh, but uh, Tim has been broadcasting uh, professional baseball games since 2004. What was your first uh, professional job, Tim? It was with the Idaho Falls Chuckers, the uh, Pioneer League affiliate of the Kansas City Royals in beautiful Idaho. Um, like I said, went to college in Vermont, got that job and packed up the car once college ended and drove out west. And the big prospect on that team was a young, freshly drafted high school kid, Billy Butler, yeah. who won the batting title in the Pioneer League and went on to play in the majors a long time. He was a major league all-star, and we were occasionally in touch, and he actually contributed the forward to the new book that we've been talking about. Oh, wow. Wow, that, that is something. Uh, so uh, the, the book, again, is Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. 1001 is a lot of anecdotes. I don't care how long you've been in minor league baseball. So how, how did you research the book? There were a lot of sources. 
newspaper archives, many of which are available online, was a great resource. There was also the old Spalding and Reach guides from the late 1800s through the early 1900s. It was an annual publication that included some crazy stories from the past year. Baseball Digest archives are online. Um, and then more recently, conversations with players, with managers, with scouts. I also made a research trip to the Baseball Hall of Fame library in Cooperstown. And the Hall of Fame, of course, known for its plaque gallery and its great museum, but they also have such a deep research collection in the library. And the people there are so helpful. If you let them know what you're looking to do, uh, they supply the exact books that can help you. And it's really cool, Ken. You put on these medical, surgical-looking gloves because some of the publications are so old and historic, they don't want your fingerprints on them. So that's when you know you're holding something special when they make you wear gloves. Wow, that that is something. Geez, may, maybe I'll pretend I'm writing a book so I can go up there in the research library. <laughs> <But, laughs> they will take uh, care of you. I, I guess, but uh, that that is that is fantastic. So I'm sure you garnered a lot of knowledge there. How much time did you spend at the Hall of Fame? I was there for two full weekdays. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, a couple uh, of years ago. Yeah. And boy, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you... Uh, had you been there before? Yes. Yeah. The family took a trip out there when I was in elementary school. Uh-huh. And then in high school, um, my high school baseball program set up this game where we were going to play at Doubleday Field in yeah. Cooperstown. Wow. But it rained, and oh. it got rained out. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I, I know, and strangers should say that because the uh, Concord High School baseball team uh, just went up there uh, a month or so ago during the vacation time and uh, played a couple of games at Doubleday Field. So, and, you know, they were all talking about what uh, a great experience it was. I'm, wow. I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't get an opportunity to, to actually play, but you were there and uh, saw the field and experienced the Hall of Fame, which is a wonderful place if if some folks listening have uh, never been there, it's really not that far away to drive to uh, Cooperstown, New York. You've also had the chance to uh, promote this book on MLB TV. Yeah, that was awesome. That was um, as it was leading up to its publication. Bill Ripken, who's become a friend, was really helpful with that. So my first book was about team names throughout minor league history, and Bill Ripken wrote the forward for that. Uh-huh. So we've occasionally been in touch. I let him know about my new book. And I said, do you have anyone at MLB Network that you recommend I send it to? And the best case scenario was that he gives me a producer's name. That's the best I was hoping for. Yeah. He goes above yeah. and beyond and says, send it to me. I think we might have some openings coming up. Wow. So I shipped it to Bill Ripken's house near Baltimore and yeah. ended up on MLB Network, which was awesome. Um, I watched that station all the time. Sure. Listened to Matt Vaskersian, the host, along with Bill Ripken. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, a lot of people know Bill Ripken as Cal Ripken's brother. But if you look up his stats, he played in the major leagues a long time. He did. If it yeah. wasn't for his brother, you know, he would be known as the star of the family. I mean, he himself played in the majors, Baltimore, Texas, um, Cleveland, Detroit, had yeah. a long career. And, and had probably one of the most famous baseball cards ever, right? <laughs> Yes, with an expletive written on it. Yes. And uh, from what I understand, he's not crazy about talking about that story. But uh, for those who don't know it, I'll keep it clean. But um, (laughs) Bill had a bat that wasn't working very well for him. So he or someone else wrote a bad word on the bottom. And one day he's at Fenway Park 
and Fleer baseball cards is there and says, hey, Bill, can we take your photo for the baseball card? And he's thinking about his swing. He's thinking about a million other things. So he grabs a bat and he poses. And there it is, a bad word on the baseball card. <laughs> and it somehow went to print. Um, I've read Bill Ripken saying in interviews, how many different people missed this? How many different people look at a baseball card before it ends up inserted into a set? Um, yeah, really. You know, some, yeah. have, some have wondered, Ken, if maybe... Maybe they, they did know, and they put it in anyway to right. sell a lot of cards. I don't yeah. know. I, I, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Haggerty is our guest. and uh, So, so tell, tell us uh, a couple of your favorite stories uh, in the book, a couple of your favorite anecdotes. Well, I think New Hampshire Red Sox fans will love this. New Hampshire Yankee fans, too, because there's some big names involved. But in 1978... A fly ball disappeared. It was a double-A game. I know you mentioned the Eastern League, so you'll like this too. Double-A Eastern League game. Bristol, Connecticut is at Jersey City, New Jersey in 1978. And a fly ball was hit to right field, and it vanished. It didn't (laughs) land on the field. It didn't go over the fence. It didn't go in the stands. And I know this sounds crazy, but I spoke to players who were on the field. I spoke to somebody who was in the stands, and they all described it the same way. There was just this silence of, what just happened? (laughs) So the umpires get together, and understandably, they don't know what the rule is when a ball doesn't come down. (laughs) So they gave the batter a double. (laughs) So that ball was never found? There were reports of a kid behind the outfield wall with a, a ball, but then others said it was not a game ball. Um, so no, there was no conclusive theory to what happened to this ball. It was a clear night. You know, I had wonders about fog, um, but that was not it. They say it was a dimly lit park, but they also said it was early in the game where it was still light out. I got all sorts of theories. Somebody told me that the magician, David Copperfield was from nearby (laughs) Jersey city and that maybe he made something happen. (laughs) Oh wow! Well, I guess we'll we'll never really know uh, what took place in 1978 in Jersey City with the disappearing <laughs> baseball. Uh, how about another one? Yeah, what's also been fun is to look at some of the crazy trades throughout baseball history. Right. For example, in 1921, Dallas traded pitcher Joe Martina to New Orleans in exchange for two barrels of oysters. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good swap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there have been some more recent examples as well. 1997, San Diego traded a minor league catcher, Sean Mulligan, to Cleveland. And at that time, the Padres weren't in their new beautiful stadium yet. They didn't have the biggest budget. And they said that they had a treadmill that was broken in their fitness facility. So they asked Cleveland if they could ship them a treadmill. So they traded a player for a treadmill in 1997. A player for a treadmill. Wow. <laughs> and I know the, and, the baseball broadcaster Ernie Harwell was involved in a trade uh, many years ago. Exactly, yeah. That's when he was with Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, traded for uh, Dapper. What was Dapper's first name? Clint, I think. Clint Dapper, a catcher. Yeah, he was traded for the broadcaster. Um, a few years before that, here's a crazy one. In 1931, Chattanooga had this really eccentric owner, Joe Engel. He would do crazy things like he would have the players come onto the field sitting on top of camels. He would do anything to get into the newspaper. And in 1931, he traded his shortstop to Charlotte for a turkey and then served that turkey at a winter banquet for the sports writers. 
And when asked, why did you trade your player for Turkey? He said, the Turkey was having a better year. Ouch. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> and, I, and I know you had a story in there because I heard you uh, tell it on another interview you did about a very colorful umpire. Yes. Uh, Steamboat Johnson. Is that who we're talking about? Right. Probably? Yeah. 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 So he, he umpired more minor league games than anyone in history from the early 1900s all the way through the 1940s. He would bellow out starting lineups, announcing them to the fans. He would run next to base runners and slide with them to get a closer view. He would travel with an optometrist certificate to show fans who were yelling at him, questioning his vision. Um, <laughs> and the craziest story I found about Steamboat was in 1912, he's umpiring a game at St. Joseph, Missouri, and there were some cowboys who had money on the game. And gambling was a big part of baseball in the early 1900s. This was uh, a, a wild scene at a lot of these ballparks with with men that were ready to throw punches and put money down. These are really, you know, laboring guys. And reportedly, these cowboys had some money on the game. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, there's this deep fly ball that's about to soar over the fence and cost these cowboys some money. And Steamboat says they pulled out a pistol and shot the ball and blew it to smithereens <laughs> while it was in the air. Oh, and Steamboat man. says he called it a home run because the ball disappeared from his view. But that's what's that, fun that, about researching yeah. it. That, that story sounds, you know, maybe hard to believe, but then I would look through it, and it appears in many newspapers and some magazines. It actually um, happened. Uh, that that is uh, really something. Some some right. great great anecdotes. Terrific research. How long did it take you to put it all together? I started in 2012, so not every day for 10 years, but an ongoing project for 10 years. Wow, um, which is so fun. So now it's it's great to have it out there in stores and online. All right, it's uh, again. Uh, Tales from the Dugout, 1001 humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. And uh, the author is Tim Haggerty, born in Concord, New Hampshire. And Tim, I really appreciate you taking the time this morning to be with us. Well, thanks, Ken. I've heard your voice many times over the years on different sports, and it's great to finally talk to you. Well, great to talk with you, Tim, and uh, continued success. And I, I have a feeling someday uh, you, you'll be in, in the big leagues, someday in the not-too-distant future. Thank you. All right. Well, Tim, thanks so much. Take Thank care. Thank you, Ken. All right. And that'll do it for this edition of uh, Kale & Company. Great to have you with us here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Have a great day, everybody.